a narcissist will blame you when something wrong happens and it's their fault. Or am I talking about Congress? Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principal Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst. Excuse me, I said that wrong. The Chairman of the Institute. That's right. you got to catch me on this. Like, it, like get, it really matters. Sometimes I get into that old mindset. The Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend. I never miss that part. Chuck Michaels. I might be acting secretary and um, chief bottle washer. I'm too. not the treasurer. I think that's you. So you're yeah. the you're the director and the treasurer, and I'm the I'm the chairman and the secretary. Yes, and I direct our treasury, the, <laughs> our empty treasury. Our to, em- that's uh, right. <laughs> to, yeah, not do anything. That, all the ink seems to be in red in that. Isn't that about right? Yeah, red, green, yellow, orange, blue, whatever, whatever, whatever crayon yeah. I could pick up at the I, time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I somebody got me a multicolored pen. So I wrote an essay, and every other word was a different color. Uh huh. I had four colors on it. I I, I was not marked uh, well on that particular essay. Well, that's a shame because so that shows you your unique individuality and talent and creativity. And well, you know, it could have been an art installation. You never know. <laughs> in this day and age, it's hard to tell. An artist, I'm not, but in, at least not in the standard. I'm. I'm uh, I have a fair musical ear. Uh, I recognize good art when I see it. Can I make it? Well, if you think stick figures are art, then I guess I'm okay. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, no. Um, my artistry is in different areas. Um, like uh, History. That, well, that's where your artistry uh, lies. That's part of it. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, how to uh, very creatively... Uh, write checks against an empty checkbook and somehow the checks hit when there's actually money in in the account. See, I figured out how to do that first part. I'm just not quite sure how that second that part second works. That second part doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I get surprised occasionally. Like, uh, you know, you, you write a check. You have a service done. You write a check for it. Oh, they won't cash that to probably till Friday. So, and you go home, and here it is, bang, right so, there. So you're one the, of those guys who like grabs his checkbook out of his pocket and say, "See, I got plenty of I money. Plenty. I still have checks left." <laughs> that's right. Got plenty of checks left. Um, oh, now that that's that's an old. Now the problem is, is that in the in this day and age, I, you can grab out that checkbook. You can grab out your credit cards. You can grab out your wallet. Doesn't mean you're going to have any money left after you go and go to the store and go to the gas pump. <laughs> I know this is going to be a recurring theme today, but uh, Jenny and I, uh, my wife, Jenny and I, we're in the middle of a construction project. I so, I feel for you. So what do you buy when you are in the middle of a construction project? You buy? Lumber. Wood. Yeah, yeah you buy lumber. You buy lumber. So I've been trying to keep an eye on the lumber prices. Chuck will be starting a GoFundMe campaign yeah. for, for his lumber. <laughs> now, my wife and I Saturday went to pick up, oh, we, we thought around between 25 and 30 uh, two-by-fours. Oh, wow. Okay. So you you, you you live high on the hog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you got to have them. I mean, uh, otherwise the project stops. Yeah. And the way I look at it is prices probably aren't coming down much from where they are. So That's a shame. It, it, you can play that out, but sometimes you get really stuck on that so we we went and we pull up in the the local lumber yards uh one of the big names it, it has the initials hd uh-huh yeah that one um and uh there's an ambulance right there at the entrance 
And I turned to my wife and I said, hey, look, somebody went in and looked at what the two-by-four <laughs> prices were. <laughs> had a heart attack and a sticker <laughs> shock. a stroke right there. <laughs> yeah, so she started laughing. She took the picture and had the, the sign and the, see, look, guy has the same reaction to the prices we have. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been. That was my reaction at the gas pump today. Uh, yeah. Exactly. It's over. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday, 3822. Yeah. So by the time you hear it, it may be even it may higher. Be even higher because. But uh, it was 4099 a gallon yeah. for regular unleaded at most stations today. I understand it went down briefly for like uh, about an hour. Well, I missed that. I missed that <laughs> window. Missed that window. <laughs> I missed that window. Uh, my, my daughter said, yeah, it was down for like an hour or two, and then it was right back up worse than it was before. Oh, okay. Well, so, oh, that was the, yeah, let's see. Let, okay. Are, are you smart enough to catch it? Nope. Gullible suckers. We, yeah. we can get you again. Gotcha. I, well, I, my, one thing that people do that bothers me, they sure. blame the local uh, gas station. Gas station, yeah. You're greedy, you're blah, blah, blah. It's like, Folks, I've worked on the other end of that. Now, yeah. I, I was not an owner or a renter, but I did the books mm-hmm. on a place when I was in high school. Yeah. And I saw what they made per gallon. And it's pennies. There's a reason for, at the time, we why we did service. Mm-hmm. We changed tires. We that was put, where the profit was. That's right. We'd sell batteries. We'd sell pop. Uh, we'd sell fan belts. Why do you think you don't see too many just gas pump stations anymore? They're gas pump stations with convenience stores hooked to them. You see none of those. Yeah, you I, see. No, yeah, there's none left. Um, and you rarely ever see gas pump station with any kind of service anymore. Oh no, are you kidding? Only in small towns, and only if they've managed to scrabble along. Um, but you know, I, I, good friend, of my mechanic owned a station. He had um. I think four pumps, you know, small station, but he had a service bay and he got to the point where he closed it. He closed it up. Now this was well before, this was even before Trump got it. So this is like around Obama's time or a little bit before that. He closed it all up because he was like, the gas tanks in the ground cost a minimum of $200,000 to replace. Oh, yeah, and they're metal. The old ones, like in those old stations, yeah, were metal. were metal. And they leaked. Yeah. So by the time you dug it all out, paid for the excavating, paid to remove the old one, did all the remediation work that the EPA requires, and put in the new tanks, whether they were the new plastic type or whatever, synthetics or whatever. Yeah, you were looking at a couple hundred grand. And he said, we can't do that because no. we, we only make about 25 cents on a gallon of gas. Well, they're making a lot more than the people were in the 70s. Well, I mean, the, yeah. So he was, but he may have been figuring in his total profits average from, from everything average up per gallon of gas. Yeah. But now, when I was uh, pumping gas, mm-hmm. uh, partly when I was early in college and late in high school, uh, I, I was a true service guy. I you know wiped the windshield. I I checked the oil. I ch- I made sure the transmission was full. I uh, we checked the battery and put water in the battery and yeah. all that stuff. Uh, check your uh, windshield wipers. Yeah, because we sold windshield wipers as part of the deal. Got your headlamp oil checked. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, what was it? Uh, um, blinker fluid. Blinker fluid. Yeah, that's right. By the way, you can buy blinker fluid. It's a joke. <laughs> you know, you can you can go a lot of 
a store. You send your girlfriend in, I, I need a jug of blinker fluid. I saw a YouTube video where the girl comes out and says, this one? And he goes, where did you get that? That's You asked for that, and they sold it to me in the store. So that joke doesn't work anymore, guys. They'll sell your, they'll sell your girlfriend some blinker fluid. But at that time, this is in the uh, mid to late 70s. Okay. I was in high school. I graduated in 75. And I think I worked at a, at a gas station on and off between through 77 or 78, maybe. I worked part-time here and part-time there and, and did other things. Um, those uh, places were disappearing then rapidly because yeah. there was not enough. You could not jack the price of the gas up to the point where you could make a living. Right. You could just barely pay the rent on the station because almost always those stations, you say you owned a gas station. No, you leased it from the company. That's right. If you had a certified oil station, they owned the station. Yep. You were you were the lessee. You, you, and you you're, paid, you're basically a franchisee for them. Yeah. And you paid per gallon. That was your rent. Uh, and if you could not sell enough gasoline, you lost your lease. Yep. Um, and... Um, often it doesn't sound like much now, but in the days when gasoline was under 50 cents a gallon, uh, sometimes four or five cents a gallon was mm -hmm. rent. Yeah. Well, you didn't have much jack up over that. Your, no. your margin was weak because there was a guy down the road who was selling, you know, there was a, uh, a Duke station, uh, uh, and I'm going to be quite honest with you. I started driving in 1973, the cheapest I ever paid for gas. And I tell people this, and they're like, young people, and they're like, that can't be. I paid $17.9 yeah. for gasoline, not regularly, but when there was a gas war going on, and nobody knows what gas war is anymore. Uh, they uh, might, we might be getting back to it. We might be getting back to one it. One of these days. A gas war. That was when the you'd have a gas station on three or four corners. Of the That's state, right, of and, this, and one of them would drop their prices. One of them would drop their price, and the next guy would drop, and then the next guy would drop, and the next guy would drop, and then it would just go around until there was nothing to drop anymore, but almost all of them did something else besides. Yeah, absolutely. Because you couldn't compete in that particular setting. So um, this, this, what's going on? Well, it's not the local gas station who's making the profit. They no. are they are from a four dollar uh, cup of coffee, and they are from a the icy. Even the ninety nine cent icy costs about a nickel, um, and they are from the beer, and they are is from the milk. Such, is there such thing as a ninety nine cent icy anymore? I don't they're around. They, I don't even think they're still around. Oh yeah, go up to go, okay. up, go up to the station up here on okay. uh, on uh, thirteen okay. on Mount Vernon Road. But but the answer is no, and who really makes the money there? Sort of is the refiners, and they're not doing that well. Yeah. It's the producers. Yeah, well, there you go. The gas producers, which isn't necessarily... The oil producers. Yeah, yeah the, the oil producers, yeah. The gas producers are really the refiners, and they're doing okay. But let's take a look here at this too, Chuck, because if you just stop there, then one of the things that we're going to be talking about here on the program almost makes sense. But it isn't quite just that, right? Because in order to for those refiners to make the money, they have to invest in getting the oil out of the ground. Oh, absolutely! And, and so, you know, I thought about this the other day. The vast majority of folks, uh, me included, 
rarely ever take any kind of serious time to think about our supply chain and the costs of things. And if you just let's let's look at gasoline just for just for instance here. Let's look at gasoline. You've got a situation where in the supply chain, the oil is a natural commodity that is buried deep underground. So you have to get to it. First of all, you have to figure out where it is. Which, which is means, a, an art form. Which and, is an art form and costs money, a lot of money, to get surveying and uh, the drilling equipment and core sampling and everything else going on so you can figure out where it might be. You have to hire a geologist to tell you if the... if the Professional uh, geologist, the, that's right. The underlying rock strata are conducive to the... Uh, a dome of oil. Well, then, and then when you get that figured out and think that there is something there, then you gotta get, you gotta bring in the equipment, everything, the machinery to drill down to it to pump it out, because it it isn't like the old Jed Clampett thing where you stick it down in the ground, all of a sudden it just blows up out of the ground. Yeah. And, and oil doesn't quite do that that way. It has to be pumped. There's yeah. pressure put behind it to get it out out of the out of the ground. One up. day he was shooting at some food and up, up through the, the ground, ground came, came a bubble and crude. crude. Yeah, that doesn't work that it doesn't way. Doesn't work that way. It, it did in the. In the 1900s and 1910s, so what, hasn't been that way for uh, over 100 years. So, but when you get it pumping, and before you even get it pumping, you have to set up a way to get it from the oil field to the refinery, whether that is building li- miles and miles and miles of pipeline or building a receiving station to bring it in and pump it in big tanks to then offload it into tanker trucks to move it. That call cost a lot of money. And yeah. we're not even talking about all of the sub manufacturers, like who manufactures the parts for the equipment, who manufactures it, who, how, you know, how much do you pay the geologist? Then you get it to the refinery, and then you've got the costs of all. Have you ever seen a refinery? Have you ever been to a refinery? Oh yeah, I have. I live down next to Ashland, Kentucky, so you know I can drive down that way, and you come across out on Route 60 East, or excuse me, West, coming out of Huntington. And you drive through this gap, and the next thing you're faced with is two massive refineries on either side of the highway. Right. They're, and and I, when I say massive, they're massive. They're huge. Oh, yeah, they're gigantic. And there must be at least a good 10 linear miles of pipe in any one of these refineries. I mean, it, it, there's pipes everywhere coming from it. And all that is to take that raw oil and refine it down. Crack it. Crack it to and distill. So get your and get your products out of it, from from your petroleum type you know based yep. products to your gasolines and things to your motor oils to your to your other lubricating oils everything else, all has to kind of be fine tuned there. There's a lot of people who work in a refinery. There's a lot of peripheral businesses a, attached that, have, that don't have anything to do with the refinery necessarily. That have to supply. That's right. Yeah, there are people that work in the fields. Uh, I have a friend who's in the industry, and he writes safety protocols. Uh huh. And part of his deal was that he would uh, go through and watch the workers work, and see what they were doing right, and see what they were doing wrong, and then he would write documents to say you you got to have lockout tagout, you have to have this, you got to be have the right equipment. Right. You don't, your guys don't don't have the right equipment for this. You're going to have to get it for them. So there's all kinds of peripheral businesses attached who are maybe contracted to a refinery or to a pumping operation. Right. um, Or even to, you know, the refiner or 
even to the transportation industry who's hauling the stuff from the refiner to the gas station. Right, and then they have to haul it from the refiner to the gas station. It has to be pumped into the tanks in the ground at the gas station, and that's a daily operation for many of them because I, some of these gas stations that are the busy ones, they can run through a 20,000-gallon tank in a day. Oh, gosh, I, 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 I can remember a busy night when I worked by myself at yeah. the gas station. If I had a really busy night, I could sell 1,300 gallons in an eight-hour shift. Yeah. That's a lot of gas to pump. And how many pumps? Just one pump? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Eight pumps, okay. And sometimes I'd have six of them going at once. Believe me, that's that's hard, especially when yeah. people come in and say, I want $10 worth. Now, this is back in the day, again, that's under right. 50 cents a gallon. I want $10 worth of gas. Well, that was a lot of gas. At, you know, that was 20 gallons. You you would fill a tank usually in a, in a big old land yacht Yeah, pretty much with that 10 gallons. You, if you didn't fill it, you were real close. Well, I would guess that in, at any decent gas, let's say a gas station off of an interstate highway, my guess is in a 24-hour period oh. uh, with an average of 10 gallons per tank because they've got big tank, right. big vehicles that come in there and small vehicles that come in there. So let's say average of 10 gallons per tank. My guess is they probably push through 3,000 vehicles a day. Yeah. Uh, easily. Well, that's 30,000 gallons, gallons of gas that's a day. Right. That's that's a Those big tanks are only 20,000 gallons at the biggest. So that's a tank and a half right there. And if they've only got three of those buried underground, they got two days worth of supply. <laughs> you can see the tank heads, and you can usually tell how many, well, they, got. How many they got. Yeah. Um, like uh, high test... Or a, a premium, medium right. grade, and sometimes what those pump is like medium grade will pump both high. Uh, exactly, they'll pump both premium and uh, regular at the same time. They they do a blend. They've got a metered blend. Yeah, and uh, Sunoco was uh, was big into that. Yes, in, in my day, Sunoco you could pump anywhere uh, octane wise. You could pump gas up to two hundred and ten octane. I think. Wow. Um, oh yeah, it was like aviation fuel. I was going to say, but that's, it that's, cost that's, like aviation fuel. I think it might only been two hundred five, but it was over two hundred. <laughs> and then you could dial it. They had a dial on the side, and you picked the octane that you wanted, and ch- paid for it by and paid type, for it at, by by which tank it came out of, or which combination of tanks it came from. That's how they do that. Um, now, what does that mean? That means that for the most part, what are you gonna what are you gonna pump the most of? You're gonna pump the 87 octane. Yeah, the regular unleaded. Yeah, yeah that's usually for the, most the case. Part. And not and, and the 93. Uh-huh. Yeah, there are some vehicles that need that, and some people who have been hoodwinked into thinking that they need 93. That octane. their engine runs better on yeah, higher octane. Almost no engine anymore runs better on 93. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> true. It'll true. Uh, uh, you, keep your engine cleaner. No, 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 it won't. <laughs> but, I mean, but, but even look through that, all that. So you, when you get to the gas station, first of all, they got to build a gas station in order to br- to bring the gas in, put the pumps in. And the pumps have to, you have to have managers, staff. You again, like you said, in order to actually make a profit, you have to have other things. So you have to have vendors who to fill all that. You have to have the permits to be able to put a gasoline tank in in the ground. That's right, and those permits are not easy to come by. So it's a very interesting thing that we set here. And although I'm not saying it isn't bad, it could be an awful lot worse, folks. It could be much worse. I mean, government has gotten their nose involved. Of course, when you go to the pump, remember, when you're paying that $4 plus a gallon, you're paying 
what is it, somewhere in the neighborhood of 57 cents of that just to the state and federal taxes? That's the direct taxation. That's direct taxation of it. So, so the rest of so and that and the oil companies don't get that money. So that goes to that goes to state and federal governments. Then the you got to pay out your employees' wages, your profits, your upkeep, and everything else for the pumps and everything else to the station. Then you got to pay the drivers to you know the people to build the station. You got to pay the drivers to bring the gas to the station. You got to pay people at the refinery. You got to pay for the maintenance and upkeep of the refinery. It is a wonder, Chuck, that we don't pay ten to twelve dollars a gallon for gas when you start thinking about how many hands, how much, and how much money gets tra- changes hands during that whole process to get it to our pump where we're sticking it in our little car or our truck and pulling the the, the pump lever and watching the the thing go ding 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 up till well fifty bucks. Like that's what it cost me just to fill up today was. That was a little sticker shock because I've been used to filling up for about thirty, so it's uh, it's going up. And you don't drive a, like a land yacht; you drive no, a, a midsize. Midsize uh, American probably gets fairly decent mileage. It gets okay mileage, but again, you know, but I do drive a lot, so I do fill well, up more yeah. than more than, more than the average bear. But uh, but the whole point is, Chuck, it isn't like the oil companies are sitting back there, you know. And of course, yeah, everybody thinks about filthy rich oil companies. Well, yeah. When you run or own an oil company or a shareholder in an oil company, oftentimes you get you make a lot of money. Why? Name me one other product that there was as high a demand for by consumers. Bread. Then then gas. Well, I don't eat bread, so I don't have any demand for that. Well, why golly, I drive a car. Why golly, I have to, uh, you know, I have to use petroleum products. I have to get the, you know, the oil, oil for my car, oil for other things. Everybody uses an oil product. We can't avoid it. And sometimes it's oil products are in the other things, we, the plastics that we get, <laughs> the other compounds and chemicals that make up the, our daily lives. There's an awful lot that we depend on on oil. The demand is incredibly high. Which means, yes, yeah, if you've got the wherewithal to do it with the oil co- and be an oil company and make the money, produce that product, you do make some significant money. But it isn't that the oil companies are the ones making the call saying raise gas prices 60, 70, 80 cents here just because they want to make more money. Oh no! There's a, there's a there's a few other little items involved, and that's what we're going to get into right now. It's a commodity. Oil is a commodity. It's traded on an open market. Futures are bought and sold for oil, and it's the type of oil is also Brent crude and and the other and the what? other there's there, there's like the I forget what what they call the one type of crude, but there's but Brent crude is like the higher. There's there's a sweet crude. Sweet. That's the other. Okay. Sweet yeah. crude, and there's a. Uh, heavy crude. Okay. Heavy crude is just that. It's very viscous and thick. It's hard to pump out of the ground. Um, sweet crude comes out very clean, sort of, uh, flows much better. Yeah. Um, there, again, there are degrees within those, uh, within those great, their radiations and inside those categories. But, but there's really, I mean, very little else that, that supposedly is a limited resource that people have such a high demand for. I mean, yes, water, but water is pretty abundant. 
here. Well, it, 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 I mean, but it, it can be pretty abundant I, anywhere, depending on how you how you process. Go out, go out west. I, I'll, I'll I'll give you that. But go out west. Uh, people fought wars. They have water wars. Yeah, absolutely. Have, people yeah. fought wars over water. In fact, uh, there's a big thing I saw, and I said, "You're not being fair." And they, they were making a big deal because in the Imperial Valley in California, uh, the water is subsidized, uh-huh. and it's subsidized. Uh, at a, a high rate and so somebody was making the point that well they're getting the use of all this water at this cheap price and i go and i'm like hold your horses bub i go if mm-hmm. you know anything of the history of southern california you'll know that los angeles stole their water supply from the imperial valley they went in in a stealth fashion and bought all the riverside property and built pipelines from the Imperial Valley, turning it from a uh, basically what amounts to a, a, a sort of a uh, kind of a grower's dream into a grower's nightmare. Uh, they they you know greened up Los Angeles and made sure everybody in L.A. had lots of this is in the tens and twenties, the nineteen tens, nineteen twenties, and. Uh, um, stole all the water from the Imperial Valley and basically bankrupted all the farmers who were there who couldn't get water to to uh, feed their cattle and, and water their crops because uh, they were taking all the money or the water out of out of that. And in fact, if you look, it, it, you've, if you know anything about popular culture, if anybody has ever seen Chinatown, have you ever seen that movie? Yes. Chinatown, Jack Nicholson, Faye yep. Dunaway. What's it all about? It's about... Mulholland and stealing the water from the uh, Imperial Valley. Yep. And they had w- literal wars where people, uh, the farmers out in the Imperial Valley would go out and blow up pipelines, uh, these giant pipelines. There's a picture of it, like a Model A Ford driving down the pipeline. Uh, they got somehow got it up on there, and the thing's driving d- up and down the pipeline. Yep. Uh, but they would blow these up to divert the water back into the valley. And there were shooting wars. People were killed over uh, over water. So yeah, it's not the same. Okay, yeah. So I mean, I, I understand that. But, but and here it was like, will you please take some of the water off our hands right mm-hmm. now? <laughs> but 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 the point is, is that it's in such it, it's a commodity that is in such high demand. Yes. That anything that disrupts that supply chain can cause oh, the, the the adjustments in the prices. Major upheaval. Well, and ever, so if you were ta- if you listen lately to the Biden administration, it's all about Russia invading Ukraine. No. That's that's the big problem. Putin's responsible for our, for our, for the, um, the the pinch. Or if you listen to Focahontas, uh, Elizabeth Warren, well, it's all because the oil companies are gouging everybody, and they're the ones who are causing not only the prices at the gas pump to go up, but inflation overall. It's not just the gas companies. It's those darn gas station owners who are actually continue to raise prices so they can take their vacations. Well, uh, yeah. Well, look, Liawatha has been, been talking this way since, since she came on the scene. Um, but the fact is that if you really look at what's happening... This is this is a commodity again, as we said. And if you don't understand what I mean, I've talked to my wife about this. Why is it when this or that happens, all of a sudden the price goes up on gas six cents 
a gallon immediately. And I said, okay, because it is a commodity price. Yeah. The price to the dealer goes up instantly. Yes. So it in does. other words, when the Wednesday truck comes in, you got to pay the higher price. Yeah. In order to pay the higher price, you got to raise prices now because those guys don't don't take an IOU. Right. Exactly. It's, it's a cash business. But now here's so Elizabeth Warren is is getting ready to introduce a bill, um, and she went on with Andrea Mitchell. And because, you know, Biden this morning just basically finally said, well, we're going to have a ban on the import of Russian oil. That's funny. We've been paying hundreds of millions of dollars a year to Russia to get oil from them for this last year. Because before that, we were energy independent. That's right. We were shipping to Europe. Okay, I'm not going to say this is a Trump versus Biden thing, but okay, it's a Trump versus Biden thing. If you go back, there are people who took screenshots right after the election of the gas pumps. You're looking at prices on regular gas of a dollar seventy nine nine, dollar eighty nine nine, right? You roll ahead. We've been what uh, fifteen months into the Biden administration. Yeah. Did I just mention what gas was four oh nine nine? And that's here in Ohio. You go out on the coast. Oh gosh. And it's and it's over five dollars, climbing towards six. Yeah. Now, and the the national average is a little bit higher than where we are right now, but. That isn't because we have an inept, uh, mis, misguided person sitting in the, the resident in the, in the Oval Office who one of his first acts when he walked into office in January of 2021 was to shut down domestic production of the Keystone Pipeline, which was part of our platform of being energy independent, was we were pumping our own oil, uh, you know, and you get a situation where, you know, like when you do some of the things that are high cost, like the fr the shale fracking and things of that nature, where there's an awful lot of extra equipment, awful lot of extra costs that go into it, they have to have gas prices at a certain rate in order to make it profitable to go after that kind of oil. That's right. But there's off all we've got onshore and offshore oil that is workable, and including the Alaska pipeline, which, thank God, he hasn't, like, tried to curtail yet. But, folks... Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. It, it, it'll be coming. They're canceling uh, pumping leases all over the place. Oh, on federal, on any federal, on lands. any federal. That's lands. right. But that none of that plays into Pocahontas's or Focahontas, I should say, into her equation. It's all about the fact that the um, since Biden banned U.S. imports on Russian oil and gas, that Congress should monitor the profits of oil companies and quote. Profit margin should not go up. That's just oil companies gouging when they do that. So we're going to be on them on this and says, okay, we also need to, uh, I'm co-sponsoring with Senator Whitehouse and others, a bill on windfall profits tax. Look, we get it. Supply and demand. No, you don't. Look, no, you, you just already said you don't, don't get, it. get it. That prices go up, but profit margin should not go up. So, what? okay. Obviously, she hasn't studied basic economics. If price, if supply, if demand is high and supply rises to meet demand, but there's an extra cost to get that supply level up, prices go up. That's not a re increase in margin. That's an increase in the total cost. costs. That's right. Now, if they happen, let's say, okay, and because I said it's a, and you said it's a commodity, it's bid on futures. Do you know how far out those futures can be bid, Chuck? 
like six months, years, uh, six sometimes months, to, years. and something. Well, it depends on the long, long hauls, but the averages are three to six months. Like right now, they're talking about the what the per barrel price of April crude is going to be. Right. It's $130 a barrel right now. They're expecting April crude to come in somewhere in 160 to 170 a barrel. Why? Well, because, again, it's high demand. It's a limited resource. Now you have a situation where with Russia being at war with the Ukraine, the Nord Stream pipeline is not pumping what, like it did. So European countries are now in the market that where they wouldn't have been looking to uh, the Middle East and other and other producing countries to supply their needs, which means that there's more demand. Demand curves starting to go up. What happens? Well, we've got to keep the supply going. Well, what's the U.S. done? Well, we've tied our hands behind our backs. We've said, no, we don't have the Keystone Pipeline. We're going to start cutting uh, the, the pumping on federal lands, which means we can't meet demand with our own domestic supply anymore. That's a dangerous position to be in because on, for us to get oil from the Middle East or any place else takes shipping. Lots of shipping. Lots of dangerous lots shipping. Lots of dangerous. Lots of shipping that is tied up at ports that can't get to the port That's in right. many instances right now because of another little problem we have, which was supply chain breakdowns based partly due to COVID itself and other other things due to government intervention as a response to COVID. Well, California, for instance, basically, if you have a truck over a certain age, you may not use it on a California roadway. Right. It's at 10 years old. Yeah. Anything older than 10 years old, you have to get special permits, and it's like basically buying another truck to pay for the permits. Now, you and I would be uh, possibly by the other side accused of being too simplistic we don't really understand the problem we don't understand what they're doing we understand full well what they're doing they're attempting to change behavior through hidden taxation right the hidden taxation of inflation and rising raising the cost what they're saying is this is inherent uh the the cost being low due to oversupply is not natural right it's nonsense, Barry. It's not, I know what, it is. What they're trying to do, they're telling us, what, what is Pete Buttigieg's uh, big solution? Go buy an electric car. Oh, oh, no, no. His big solution is, I'm going to take parental leave so I don't have to deal with it. Well, but he, he keeps coming out with these pithy... Uh, all you need to do is, is everybody needs to go over to an electric car. Okay, fine. But how, he's not how, the only one saying that. Oh, I'm aware of that. Yeah, Biden is now saying it. Did you know Elon Musk, who who is made a fortune essentially playing the market? Well, and, yeah. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Elon Musk, but he's come out and said, "No, we need to pump oil because we're not all going to get into the into the electric car thing until we have the ability to recharge the batteries." Exactly. Fixed, and we can't re <laughs> now. Here's there's another problem behind that, and I'll get to that in a minute. And it doesn't cost you thirty thousand dollars to replace the batteries. That that there's another problem behind that. Yeah. And that is uh, um, the uh, uh, you're not going to possibly make up for the loss of fossil fuels with wind and solar. You no, it's, it's not, can it, not. It, it no. is impossible. Now, Musk yeah. says it can be done, but it would require giant uh, um, banks like acres and acres, hundreds and thousands of acres of solar panels. 
Okay, fine, Elon. Um, it could be done, yeah, but it's impractical as anything. Uh, the real problem is, Barry, where does the lithium for the batteries come from in electric vehicles? I'll give you three guesses. The first two doesn't count. starts with C and, and ends with Heine. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. The Chinese, Chinese have the corner on the lithium market for lithium batteries. Now, I will say, okay, no, okay, I'm thinking magnesium because they're, they also have the corner on the magnesium market, which is another key. They didn't used to. Well, they did after they did one thing. That's right. They formed a company, and they came to the U.S., and they bought the biggest mine in the entire United States in Minnesota. You know what else they did? They they managed to get us forced out of Afghanistan. Yes, they did. Which was like the third, third biggest, biggest supplier third of biggest magnesium supplier. in the world. Yep. And what did they do? The, the Hezbollah or uh, the uh, Taliban. Taliban immediately leased it to, to the, the Chinese. Chinese. So they, they now own or hold the three biggest mines on the planet for this limited product that is absolutely essential for making batteries that can actually be recharged. That's right. Folks, you think it's $30,000 now to get a replacement battery for that Tesla or for whatever electric car you happen to be driving or hybrid? They're actually way down from that. They're still way too expensive. They're still way too, but they'll be going back up. Oh, of course they will because the Chinese hold the, the monopoly. They hold the monopoly right now. Uh, so, so you've got situations like that. But, of course, Chuck, we're not going to blame the Chinese. We're not going to blame um, Eastern European countries. We're not even going to blame our friends in Saudi Arabia. So what's Joe Biden's solution to the, to our uh, lack of uh, domestic production of oil? We're going to go to Iran and Venezuela and try to get oil from them. <laughs> Can I remind people yeah. that we have been in a conflict with Iran over their policies for decades. Venezuela has gone full socialist and Maduro down in Venezuela has destroyed his own people. But yet, these are the people Joe Biden... He doesn't want domestic production in the United States with American workers uh, pumping, ga pumping the oil out of our area in order to build up our reserves so that we may have a strategic position, not just a strategic reserve, but a strategic position of selling oil to these other countries and making money on it. He is shutting us down so that he can go to socialist and communist and worse countries in order to prop them up with hundreds of millions of dollars to buy their oil. Look, we're propping up the Russian war machine. One of the reasons, and the Chinese war machine, and and the and we'll be popping up uh, puppet dictators in Venezuela and other places. This is this is the this is what the left yeah. does. I, I want to make it clear that the Ukrainians are not without sin in this whole mess. Yeah, I'm really getting tired of people talking about how how much. Okay, folks, it is horrible. Wars, wars, nasty. Yeah, it should be. People are getting displaced. They're losing their homes. The family are getting killed. It's horrible. I feel for the people of Ukraine. I also feel for the people of Russia, too, yes. because they're going through just as much doubt, uncertainty. People are being arrested for speaking out that they, they're critical of the war. They're being thrown into gulags. Uh, these soldiers are going in and they're having to shoot people that may be their family members. Because remember, a lot of these separatists from Donbass, Donbass region and Crimea yeah. are, are, have Russian family. They're members. ethnic Russian. They're ethnic the, Russian. Th this is part of the problem. Uh, for instance, we, I think we talked about this a little bit. 
when this whole mess popped up the first thing I time I think in 2015 14 15 16 somewhere somewhere around in there when this whole uh Russia and uh Ukraine and and the Crimea if you remember the the yep. Russians moved in and and uh based on a vote seized the seized the Crimea now what people didn't know at the time was that until 1954 when the Russians the in, in, under the old Soviet Union turned the Crimea over to Ukraine why because it was sort of like putting your wallet from your right hand side pocket to your left hand side pocket uh meaning it doesn't matter the uh Ukraine was not an an autonomous government it was a a, a semi autonomous and they were under the, the the auspices of the old Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, same as Kazakhstan, same as uh, the some of the republics, Georgia, Mol, uh, Moldova, all these other places that are, that were um, parts of the old Soviet Union. Yep. Um, so all of a sudden, Ukraine breaks away, and they take all the stuff that they had before, and it's like, well, now wait a minute. Those are traditional Russian areas, although the Crimea was really a Turkish area. Uh, it was it was ethnic Russians under the boot of the Turkish, the Ottoman Turks. But that being said, it had been part of the of Russia since the uh, 19th century, or maybe before that. Um, but uh, Ukraine took off and took all this stuff, and uh, people in some of those areas were like, "Hey, hold, 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 hold! We want to be with the Russian Republic." Our families are over there. We're ethnic Russian. And if you don't think there's a difference between ethnic Russians and ethnic Ukrainians, there is. Uh, Sure. Can you tell them apart when you look at them? No, you can't. Well, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, The the difference is cultural and it's language. Yeah. Now, people may look at at Ukrainian. I I took a year Russian. And I can remember going through, uh, I think you and I were in Dallas. And we went to the... uh, uh, the mother ship, uh, half price books. Oh yes, in yes, Dallas, the that. place that was an old Kmart, yep. and we we were going through that thing, and I got into the foreign language section. I was looking at the books in Russian, and then I got to one, and I go, "That doesn't look like this. Russian. Looks kind of like Russian, but it's not." And I looked at it. I said, "Oh, it's Ukrainian." So is there is there enough of a difference? Well, believe me, a Russian or a Ukrainian can look at the text and tell you. It's not the same. Are the words very similar in most instances? Yeah, but there's enough of a difference that they have a la- there is a slight language barrier. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, sort of like uh, to put it in Winston Churchill's words when he was speaking about the United States and and uh, Britain. He said two peoples divided by a common language, mm-hmm. and you know that if you've ever been over there, you have to listen really carefully. You have to put on your your translator because you know. Uh, do you want chips with that? What do we think? We think a bag of potato chips, right? No, no, no. It's French fries. Those are chips. There's all kinds of little weird differences. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, put that in the boot. Uh, okay, what does that mean? You put it in the trunk. Okay, doesn't seem like much, but sometimes you get into into areas where people have their own dialect and you have to listen really, really, really closely. And sometimes you have to look at somebody and go, huh? What's that mean? 
You know, especially yep. if there's a if there's a lot of idiomatic speech. Yes, and there indeed. is a lot Russian and Ukrainian, and a lot of the Slavic languages are highly idiomatic, and they don't match up. The idioms aren't the same. Right? Yeah, they wouldn't be. And and uh, um, so it's cultural, and it's um, li- uh, linguistic. So that's the difference. And that's what we don't really understand. The, the Ukrainians have a long-standing. Let's put it this way: when the Germans rode in uh, in World War II, uh, they viewed them as liberators at first, and then the Germans were too stupid to realize that and abused everybody. Why? Because as far as they were concerned, Slavs were a sub uh, were below them racially mm-hmm. it's that old the old racial stupidity coming in again but nonetheless there were a heck of a lot of ukrainian neo-nazis and there still are yeah. a heck of a lot of ukrainian neo-nazis wouldn't doubt nobody it. wants to talk about that well putin talked about it early on when they first push, started pushing into ukraine right like the russians are going to go in and wipe out the neo-nazis, the Nazis, in the Ruc- yeah like uh, the 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 old uh, old line Marxists are going to go in and wipe out the but I, I the think neo-Nazis. I think he lost his moral authority when they started bombing schools. I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. when they so. when their when their tanks are running over people that are driving their little their little tiny cars in the streets. Yep, I saw yeah, that one. Yeah, you, you kind of you know you kind you kind of lose the moral high ground on that one. Right. So right. So we need to really just kind of sit back and. I kind of got in trouble with some people. I was asked to pray on a Sunday night at church and, you know, pray for the whole Ukraine. I said, okay, how do I pray for this? Yeah. I said, I I know how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the Christians. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Everybody else, I have no idea who the good guys and bad guys are. This is like asking me to pray for the Balkans, folks. Yeah, like we said, I think, in an earlier program, this isn't a categorical thing. No, it's not. It isn't good versus bad. It's shade of gray versus shade of gray. Exactly. Who's got the the darker shade of gray? Right. Um, And, um, you know, here's what I want. I don't want to get involved. Uh, Is there some blame going on to the U.S.? Of course there is. Uh, Of course. Look, uh, this idea that after the fall of the Soviet Union, which was now 31 years ago, Mm -hmm. that somehow we need to expand NATO, the whole purpose of which was to protect Europe from Russian, well, uh, Soviet expansionism. Soviet expansionism, The Russian Republic is not the Soviet Union. No, it's not. People seem to misunderstand that. Well, uh, uh, what what have we been hearing about all these years? Russian oligarchs. Uh-huh. What's a Russian oligarch? It's somebody who got successful in business. Yeah. Knew how to manipulate the, the international markets and made money at it and then used that money to influence the government. Somehow they've become an oligarch. Hey, uh, good on them, I guess. Look, yeah. Russia has a parliament. How potent it is, I don't know. Uh, Putin keeps getting the job. Because he's popular with his people. Well, that, there is something to be said about that. Although uh, a number of folks were are not happy with him right now because no. of the war footing. That's right. They want the war over with. They don't want this. Their boys are being killed. Very often the soldiers, A, in some cases, had no idea where they were. They sent guys out in tanks and infantry out, and they said march east. 
They didn't know where they were unless they had a map and they had a guy who was telling them where they were. Um, you know, ask American soldiers very often, uh, veterans of World of, of World War II, uh, how did you, did you know where you were going? No, the sergeant said, go down this road. And we went down that road. If there was a road sign, we could say, well, we're headed for that town. Did that necessarily mean that was the end point? No, it didn't. So they didn't really know where they were on a map unless they had a map. So, um, th- there are some, ma- are there major errors going on? Of course there are major errors going on, Barry. What are we doing? These sanctions? Visa and MasterCard and Discover, you know, uh, we, we won't do business with the Russians. Where did they go? They went to China. So all the money for the transactions in the banking that used to come into the West, which the West could then use for its defense apparatus, if among other things, mm-hmm. now goes to the Chinese, who are, are uh, frankly, our sworn rivals in Asia, if not in the world. That's true. Using the money to build artificial islands to threaten places like Formosa, Philippines, um, some of the same places that the Japanese threatened, uh, Japan. You don't think Japan and Korea are sweating it with China uh, going from paper tiger status to real tiger status? Uh, They're already an economic powerhouse. and it's partly because who owns a lot of United States debt? China. Chinese. Yeah, the Chinese do. Chinese companies. Yeah. So, folks, we're making grave errors all over. We ought to be in there not trying to get NATO to make no-fly zones and do incursions, but to say, boys, we need to get together and we need to talk this out and figure out how to end it amicably and equitably for both sides. Yep, you would think. You know, should Russia pay some reparations? You bet they should. Uh, does that going to bring the dead people back? Nope. Should they? But it will rebuild cities that have been destroyed. This is true. Should uh, breakaway republics who want to break away and join up with Russia or be independent? You know, we fought a war in which the supposed goal was ethnic self-determination. That was World War I. If you read anything about the negotiations of World War I, what was the bottom line? There were dozens of representatives from places that had been part of an empire. Russian, Ottoman, um, the uh, Habsburgs, the the. Austrian, uh, Austro-Hungarians that had been a part of another country by conquest, some of them four centuries. What did they want? They wanted independence. Now, were some of them n- unlikely to survive particularly long in a, in a kind of a rough environment independently? Eh, probably not. But that's the self-determination they needed to meet. We we were in needed to make. We were in that situation at the end of World War One. Yes, now here we, we are. All of a sudden, everybody's back to let's centralize. Let's centralize. Let's yes. centralize. Barry, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a biblical principle is what? It's not, not centralization. centralization. That's right. 
It's localization. Localization, that's right. Why do you think there were 12 tribes? Because 12 tribes, believe it or not, was easier to govern than than one one great big tribe. Yep. And even when uh, kings came into the picture, they still ruled what amounted to the semi-autonomous regions that were the tribes. They had to go to the tribes to say, we need this many men. We're going on campaign. We need this many men. What happened as we went along to, uh, for instance, the Northern Kingdom? Bah! Mix them all up. Forget about forget about uh, these. Uh, we need to centralize. Everything was about centralizing. It was about centralizing power in the seats, uh, Samaria yep. and in... Uh, um, um, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah, I was going to say. The two I'm, six, looking at, I'm looking at you like, come on, Chuck. Northern it's, it's Kingdom. An easy, yeah. it's, it's an easy, it's an easy got one to pick. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm ranting, so, you know. <laughs> no, that's cool. I, I, I it's get cool. excited. Uh, I, I'm going we, through. We, we rant a lot on this program, and it's okay because there's an awful lot to rant about. Again, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this program, a narcissist wants to blame you for their problems. Exactly. Joe Biden is trying to blame everybody else except himself for where we are right now in this country with our economy, with the gas prices, with the food prices going up, everything. He wants to blame everybody else in the room except him. But he's the guy whose name is on the documents shutting down the pipelines. His name is on the documents declaring mandates against businesses and people regarding COVID. His name is on the bottom line of pushing this new this, this new idea of, well, it isn't about increasing production. It's about electric cars. That's what he said. He said, we won't bring the price of gas down by increasing production domestically. Chuck. What, that theory is already proven obsolete. I, I, well, it's proven economically unfounded. Anytime you increase production, I, it's basic. It goes way back to Pocahontas here. It is basic supply and demand. When you increase the supply and the demand stays the same, the prices go down. You know, it's good that we we do shows like this where we talk about these things because a lot of people have bought into the lie that essentially they see it as a two-step process. Right. A lot of production. So the farmer down the street here who's growing the wheat just... Uh, He's responsible for bread prices being so high. He waves the magic wand... And voila, it shows up in a bag on your on your grocer shelf. Well, I was watching another podcast of someone who's a lot more libertarian than we are, and basically he said he was on some kind of a chat thing, and somebody was saying, you know, well, blah, 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 you know, such and such and such. And he was like, well, where are you going to get your milk? And the guy was like, well, the grocery store. Well, he goes, <laughs> where do you think it comes from? Because what he was talking about was that farmers are dumping their dairy because they can't get it to the... Um, the um yeah the distributor the distributors because the distributors can't get the paper and plastic products to put it in to take it to the stores yeah and so therefore we we're in a situation where we're, food is going wasted because there's breakdowns in the rest of the supply chain and this guy was like well it just shows up there <laughs> what do you mean it just shows up there that's 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 how the that's how they get it has no idea about the idea. That's the reason why I think a program like this, and we're going to harp on this more, is start thinking through this holistically. Go to the supply chain. Look at... Right. What, I, be and marvel at the fact that we have a country 
that has based itself on base on has based itself historically on free market principles and entrepreneurship and people using the sweat of their labor to earn a profit to advance themselves and compare that to other countries that are command and control. It, it's amazing. Okay, where do you get butter from? You ask these guys, where do you get from the grocery store? The grocery where, store. where do they get it from? From the farmer. No, the farmer does not make butter, butter. except for his family. Right. And even then, sometimes he doesn't. Even then, sometimes it's too much trouble. Right. He goes to the grocery store and buys he it buys for, for $2, you know, a, a pound. Um, because, you know, it's worth his, it, it cost him uh, $18 worth of time right. to churn it. Um, the, you know, or, or in when, other words, the economic cost of your time. That's what you have to calculate in on all this stuff. When we say a dairy farmer, and people think the dairy, and I'm like, that's not the dairy. The dairy farmer sells to the dairy. Right. He sells, it, a, a big refrigerated truck comes up. I, I, I can speak from personal that's experience. Right. We owned a dairy, dairy farm, farm and milked. 80 head of Holstein That's cattle. That's a lot of cows. To it was milk. a lot of cows. We milked twice a day, yeah. every stinking day. Yep. And we had a massive 500-plus-gallon refrigerated cooling tank. Exactly. Stainless steel, beautiful thing, that all the milk went into. And every day, a truck would come in, uh, one of those short-bed big tankers. Yep. They would pump that out of there into that tank, write a check, and off they went. Uh, to okay. the dairy who then poured all that milk in did all their things they needed to do because that was raw milk to pasteurize it to put it into the cartons and containers and to and to, oh. and to modify it into butter and yogurt and other things that, that are made from milk product cheese and then ship it to the grocery store where you get it i was going to say it's not just a pasteurization process yeah, it's homogenization. Homogenization. It's separate. It's separation. When you go to the grocery store and you buy homogenized milk, you think the cow puts it out that way? No, no, no. You run. I was in a middleman operation. I was in a. I we bought directly from a dairy, not the dairy farmer. We bought it direct from the dairy. Yeah. And uh, actually, it was uh, in Elsie, Michigan, which is the birthplace of Borden. Borden, yeah. Borden, uh, you know, Elsie, Elsie the cow. Elsie the cow, that's um, right. I like Elsie the cow. And uh, um, they they had homogenizers there. Well, we also had homogenizers. So we would actually mix, because we were making infant formula. Right, we, sure. We would take skim milk. Uh-huh. And we would mix in a certain blend of oil that is better for infants. But you can't just mix milk and oil. You have to homogenize it. That's right. And what that means is you slam it through a screen for about a half an hour at, uh, I forget how many pounds, 10,000 pounds per square inch or something. Yep. And as you squeeze it through that screen, it breaks the oil up into, into parts and it breaks the milk up into parts so they'll, they'll be missable. Mix, meaning they'll mix. And that being said, then you do other things to it. But at the dairy, they separate into 2% milk, low-fat milk, skim milk. Those all come from the same source. Chocolate milk only comes from the, the, only comes from the brown, brown cows. cows. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, folks, it's all our supply chain. You know, when you, we were yes. kids, we used to go out and visit those things. So we knew what part of the supply chain was. Nobody does that anymore. Well, we when we homeschooled our kids, we took them to be to be places. We took them to various fa we took them to the places where they could find out how this stuff works. That's what we need to get back to. Is, right, you know, 
start th don't don't start expecting government just to solve the problem and the milk and the butter all show up at the grocery store and that's as far as you need to go start thinking through the longitudinal ideas of if this whole system breaks down where am i going to get my milk and my butter maybe you start better better putting those network chains together sooner rather than later that's right well we're just about out of time a big shock what else is new? That happens all the there, time. There's a lot more to be discussed on this issue, but we, we don't have time for it. Uh, that being said, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And we would ask that you join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.